game begin. Hey, Dagum Nerds fans, welcome to episode 91. And guess what? It's finally happened. I am having my own one-man show. You know, Trip just made it seem so much fun. And just due to dad life and schedules and all sorts of other beginning of summertime shenanigans, it's just me tonight. But it wouldn't be a Zach one-man show unless I gave it a proper pun title. So with all of the stuff that has been revealed in a recent Vanity Fair article regarding the television universe of Star Wars, I so dub this episode my Obi-Wan Man Show. Let's dive in. So it is exciting and both terrifying times to be a Star Wars fan right now. I mean, right now at the recording of this episode, I am already counting the minutes to the release of Obi-Wan, the limited release series on Disney+. Plus. Uh, Obi-Wan has always been my favorite character since... Uh, I mean, honestly, seeing Phantom Menace in theaters in 1999 as a kid, I always thought I wanted the guy with the blue lightsaber. Uh, He was young. He did cool backflips. I want to be that guy. Um, I mean, I was was raised on the original trilogy, and I thought Ben Kenobi was cool. But, you know, once I saw Ewan McGregor jump into that role, I was like, I want to be Obi-Wan. I've been Team Obi-Wan ever since then. And I I remember back when Disney first bought Star Wars, there was those rumors that, oh man, wonderful to bring back Ewan McGregor. Will Ewan McGregor ever come back? Uh, I don't know. But it it seemed like it was right around like 2017 that the rumors resurfaced and there was like, uh, okay, this is kind of gaining some traction. And then when they made the official announcement that Ewan McGregor was coming back, I mean, I I lost my Bantha Poodoo. I was so pumped and from everything that i've seen from the concept art to the the pre-release interviews that he's done i i think ewan mcgregor is going to come in with aces like he always does you know he he's an actor who has definitely avoided the star wars curse because he has gone on to have a fantastic acting career even even after his role as obi-wan uh, I mean, one of I I know I know for uh, for Kevin, this is probably in his like top five favorite movies, and and I'd say it would make my top twenty. But I, I think Hugh McGregor in Big Fish is one of the best roles he's ever acted. Uh, but but back to to Obi Wan, uh, that's not the only thing coming out. I didn't realize in this Vanity Fair article that Andor is also coming out this year, and then on top of that. Mandalorian season three is possibly slated for holiday season. I guess it just depends on how many uh, Grogu, excuse me, I can't even say that, Baby Yoda toys they want to sell over Christmas. And then it sounds like Ahsoka is soon to follow. So, you know, we we have this discussion that it, it kind of just seems like nerderia coming out of Disney Plus. Just so much content, like so much nerd, so little time for a dad uh, but at the same time that they have to be just churning and burning all of this content just to get eyeballs. I mean, when you think of all the different 
subscription services out there. Like I, I just don't want to be the ones trying to compete for attention right now. Cause I mean, I, I guess having a new show every other week is what you gotta do. But I mean, for me as a star Wars fan, I'm just here giddy as all get out because you know, there there's, there's been there the ups and downs, uh, ever since Disney has taken over the helm, you know, probably, probably a few more downs than I would have liked, but you know, I'm, I'm that forever optimist. You know, I'm, I'm the return of the Jedi version of Luke who I, I, I still feel like there's good in him. There's, there's still good in, uh, what Disney can bring out of this universe that so many of us have fallen in love with. Uh, and then, and then one more show that was mentioned in the article was the acolyte. Uh, the the dark sider focused narrative that uh, they they confirmed will be happening a hundred years prior to the events of Phantom Menace, so not quite the same era of the High Republic like we've gotten in that new book series, uh, but but kind of an in between. So the the Jedi are still on top, relatively peaceful time in the galaxy. Uh, but now there is something rotten in the state of Denmark. Uh, what what dark side brewings uh, will we see in the Acolyte? So still lots of TBDs on that title, but uh, I, I am interested to see where they go with their first overtly dark side centric narrative. Uh, but to, to pull this back to the namesake of this episode, the, the Obi-Wan man episode, uh, I, I just continue to be excited for what they're doing with that storyline. You know, I've, I've, I've come to terms. I, I'm, I'm finally at a place of peace that we are in the era of the Filoni-verse, and it just seems like uh, Disney is, instead of carving their own bold new trail, seems to just be uh, cruising off of the curtails of the success of the Clone Wars and Rebel series. Uh, e even the Mandalorian uh, has its echoes of the Filoni-verse uh, inside its cockles. Uh, but for Obi-Wan, uh, we get that in the form of the Inquisitors. And, you know, this is this is something that, uh, you know, I, I guess if you were to trace back to when this first was a thing, this idea of a dark side user who's not necessarily a Sith, you know, seemingly they've been pulled out of nowhere, but, you know, apparently they're in the Emperor's employ. You know, I, I, I guess you could say that that would be Mara Jade as, as the OG uh, you know, she was not called an enforcer, uh, but definitely a force user, non-Sith, uh, who's under the employ of the Empire. So, I mean, if you want to get OGOG, you know, Mara Jade's your woman. Uh, but I'd also say probably in the Force Unleashed games was probably the first place that we saw a more, uh, all right, here is a force, a dark side force user. Um, who's going up against the uh, protagonist of those video games, Starkiller? Um, but uh, I, you know, I I remember seeing them in Rebels, and uh, for for me, I I am on the side of it. Kind of annoys me, you know. If you're gonna say that there was a purge, you know, Order sixty six was the purge, then 
you know, the number of force users needs to be at an absolute minimum. So whenever there's another, oh, and then this faction was also using the force, it, it, it kind of lessens the, the impact. It lessens the severity and the heartbreak of the Order 66 purge. Now, granted, argument could be made that, well, that was really just targeted to the Jedi, and if Disney has done anything with our understanding of the Force, it has broadened it. Um, you know, whether the, like, shaking your head moments of Broom Boy at the end of Last Jedi, or or even, even kind of concepts of uh, people who are worshippers of the Force, but not necessarily Force-sensitive, kind of like as, as we see at the beginning of The Force Awakens. Um, they've definitely broadened what the definition of the Force and its adherence, its adherence looks like. Um, but that having been said, the, the idea of the Inquisitors, like this is a, a trained dark side faction in the employ of the Empire whose sole purpose is to hunt down remaining Jedi. You know, it's almost like you put all of these resources into something that is making up for your own incompetence, right? Like like basically going, all right, we're just going to assume that the clones were not thorough, so I'm going to put together this posse of dark side users to clean up their leftovers. So uh, I, I will say that's probably a gap in my Star Wars lore. Knowledge is not entirely sure what the mentality or necessarily the origins of the Inquisitors are, um, it, that's always been kind of vague to me. Um, and you know, maybe it's kind of like just the, the same amount of, uh, story and reasoning as we get for the return of Palpatine and rise of Skywalker. He had plans and he did it. Okay. Well, moving on, uh, you know, in, in rebels, I mean, they, they certainly fill that role of antagonist, uh, quite well. Uh, I, I will say I've never been a fan of the, what I call helicopter blade lightsabers, the, the kind of, especially whatever they have, the, uh, like they fly out of the scene uh, as if the, the blade is actually creating lift, which to me uh, incredibly misunderstands the physics and the purpose of a lightsaber. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, you have to just kind of step back and be like, but it is really cool looking and it's definitely going to sell a toy or two. Um, and, you know, as far as menacing goes... Uh, you know, kind of like these dark side geishas is what they always looked like to me. Uh, you know, it, you know, they they definitely look menacing enough. Um, definitely leans into kind of the uh, samurai origins of the Star Wars motif for sure, um, especially with some of their designs. So to see them translated into live action, uh, I'm I'm optimistically excited. But I, I'm also in the back of my mind remin, rem, just remembering how underwhelmed I was seeing Cad Bane translated from a 3D animated character into that you know 4D live action person. Um, so for for me, the 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 female Inquisitor that we've seen, uh, I think the 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 brother. Inquisitor that we've seen in the live action. I mean, he's, you know, basically 90% of his character is his hat uh, or helmet, whatever it is, his, his headgear. Um, so I, I think it translated well enough. But the Grand Inquisitor, 
I mean, if, if you've seen Rebels, you know that his head proportions are definitely not that of a regular humanoid, uh, which you can get away with in the animation. And uh, when, I, when I first saw him in uh, the teaser trailer that came out, I was wondering, like, wow, did the Grand Inquisitor get, you know, put on some pounds? Uh, a couple too many uh, Bantha burgers with Jamba Juice <laughs> in those chunky cheeks? Uh, but I guess it, you know, kind of similar to Cad Bane, you know, the the face structure is more proportional to what real life will allow. Uh, but but that having been said, I, I am curious and optimistic to see them uh, come into the live action. Uh, the 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 female Inquisitor, her kind of persona and her direct pursuit of Obi Wan, kind of taunting him and and catcalling him and during a fight, I'm like, okay, I could get on board with this. Uh, and then we'll just see where the Grand Inquisitor goes. I mean, based off of the timeline that this is 10 years after the events of uh, Revenge of the Sith and the fact that it is before the events of the Rebels TV show, we obviously know that the Grand Inquisitor survives. So I guess slight spoiler warning uh, if, if you were not aware of that. Uh, but uh, we know he's not going to die. So is he going to be scarred? Is he going to be maimed? Uh, does something happen to him that makes him the the angry curmudgeon that he is in the Rebel series? Uh, we we don't know. Uh, but then of course, pulling the strings behind this Inquisitor crew is Darth Vader himself, the Man in Black, and so excited that Hayden Christensen is coming back to reprise this role. So I, I know he had his haters uh, in the prequel trilogy. You know, a, a lot of people wish that that had been cast differently. Uh, but at the same time, you, you got to remember, like, he was so young. He was so young. And, and just look at the script that the man was given. I mean, get, I, I, you got to look at the hand that he was dealt. I mean, George Lucas writing the script along with, you know, 90% green screen acting. I mean, they were doing cutting edge stuff at the time. So, uh, I mean, I, I know he's got some haters out there, but uh, I, I think he came into his own, especially toward the end of Revenge of the Sith when he got to be a little bit more of that uh, angry emo kind of persona. But I, I am really excited that for some, this is his redemption rounds. Uh, for me... I'm just excited to see him back in the suit, exploring the character even more. And, you know, I, it, they've got to have some non-helmet scenes planned. Because, I mean, why, why go through the time and effort, and I'm sure cost, to bring, bra bring back Hayden Christensen if we're not going to get some FaceTime? I mean, granted, it's going to be gnarly, sandpaper, lava face FaceTime. But, oh, man, just that, that moment where he and Obi-Wan can lock eyes with each other as as lost brothers again. Like, ooh, I, I, I get chill bumps just, just thinking about it. And and that, that does bring up something about this dynamic that I'll be interested to see how Deborah Chow, the, the director, uh, is going to take this. But she says that their relationship is really not even a rivalry. It's not hate. It's, it's a love story. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't say, I, I would, I would avoid putting that title on it because I feel like there's, there's strings attached to that. Uh, but I, I can see where she's going because, you know, the, the tragedy of what happened in their relationship is they really were brothers. 
I, I mean, you have that 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 line when Obi Wan has defeated him. You know, after the famous "I, I have the high ground," but you know, you were my brother, Anakin. I loved you. Um, so you know, there was that element of love, and so here, you know, you know, they say love and hate are just different sides of the same coin. So you know, I, I'm sure so much of the emotion in this is going to be Obi-Wan battling those inner demons of regret of, you know, could he have done more? Could he have done something different to prevent the fall of his best friend? And then, of course, you've got Hayden, who is so consumed by that hate. Or excuse me, Hayden. you got you got Anakin, now Darth Vader, who is so consumed by that hate that uh, it, he just, just the very sight of Obi-Wan makes that burn um, and, and probably reminds him of everything that he's lost. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see how much of this is dramatized and then how much of this just becomes, you know, swingy, flash, flash, hit you with my lightsaber in, in the fight that is apparently supposed to uh, just put all other lightsaber fights in their place. And, and for me, I'm going, all right, so you're telling me this is going to be more grand then Duel of the Fates with John Williams' epic orchestra, or it's going to be even more epic than the Anakin-Obi-Wan fight over freaking lava pits, again, to John Williams' score. Really, what I'm just getting at is, you know, all right, you better put in a John Williams score if it's really going to be the lightsaber fight to end all lightsaber fights. Uh, but uh, just the the one shot they had in the Vanity Fair article of Hayden practicing his choreography with a lightsaber he's standing in front of that giant industrial fan and he's got the darth vader cape billowing in the wind very reminiscent of the posters that we saw during revenge of the sith like i i i got i got the nerd goosebumps just looking at it so really excited to see how that dynamic plays out and just again i'm, I'm gonna bring it back to just really pumped to see ewan mcgregor you know, I, I can't remember if, I, if I've brought this up on the show, but uh, I think it was uh, it, it was this is back when you know I had the time to read the uh, how it was made like behind the scenes books. But the the one for the Revenge of the Sith was not only a really well made book, just the layout and the pacing and everything, but had some fascinating little tidbits in it. And one that always stood out to me was just how fortuitous the casting of Ewan McGregor was to play a younger Alec Guinness. Because apparently when you look at the structure of someone's face, there is a a golden triangle that they call. It's basically from eyebrow to eyebrow to just below your nose. And, a, and apparently, according to the theory, it's, it's within that triangle that a majority of the characteristic features that make you you like the things that when someone just looks at you they instantly recognize and go ah that's that person um you know obviously there's exceptions to this i'm thinking of Mick Jagger's jaw alone um as a dead giveaway um but uh you know most of the time it's within that that golden standard triangle and apparently that triangle when you compare it between Alec Guinness and uh, Ian McGregor is within like a couple percentage points of being exactly the same. And, and you know, they didn't even know that when they when they casted Ian McGregor to play the part of young Obi-Wan back in Phantom Menace. And they were just kind of realizing this there at uh, Revenge of the Sith. 
And so, uh, you know, I, I'm excited to see how they continue that progression. Um, because, you know, if, if it's 10 years after Revenge of the Sith, then we're kind of as close as we can get to the halfway mark between the events of, of Revenge of the Sith and New Hope. Uh, and obviously there's a lot of aging that occurs uh, between the events of this Obi-Wan series and A New Hope. Um, though, of course, any of us who have lived through COVID know that sometimes a single year can feel like three. Uh, so maybe, you know, it, it'll be a it makes a little bit more sense that we're giving a credit for. But uh, something that I've always re respected about UK actors is their ability to just laser in on the physical elements of acting. Uh, I, I think uh, of all the actors in the world, just something about the way they're trained or the way they study just makes them exceptional at it. And it, both in the teaser trailer and in the trailer, you can tell that Ewan McGregor has done his research on Alec Guinness. Just the way his, his eyes would be staring. Just the way he holds his face. I mean, just subtle, idiosyncratic movements in his face. You can tell he's been looking at the source material. So I, I, I just... Can't wait to see the little bit of Alec in Ewan throughout this series. And uh, I, I think he's going to hit it out of the ballpark. Um, so I, I know a lot of these are, uh, are repeating my thoughts that we shared on, you know, what are our expectations for the series. But just seeing this article now that we're both a teaser trailer and a full trailer into it, I just continue to be so excited for this show. And, and then in this article to then get further insight into just Disney's strategy as a whole with Star Wars. You know, one of the things that stuck out to me, uh, or stuck out, stuck out to me, was Kathleen Kennedy kind of going, all right, we, we kind of are hitting the, the, the full brakes on doing trilogies, and we're really just starting to focus on consistent storytelling. And part of me goes, you know, hallelujah, because kind of, uh, kind of jar jar the bed on that sequel trilogy there, Disney. Uh, but, you know, they're basically taking the MCU model is, you know, instead of trying to put all of our eggs in one series basket, why don't we create a bunch of smaller interrelated series and then once we find the things that have sticking power, make a crossover event, a la Avengers, with those characters. And uh, considering that a lot of what we've seen in the television shows so far is the Filoni-verse, uh, my, my guess is that some of these crossover events may start happening uh, once we get into Ahsoka. Um, it seems like they were going to do a little bit of that in the Rangers of the New Republic, and you know it would take a whole other podcast to share my thoughts on all the shenanigans that went down with that uh, and its cancellation. Uh, but I, I am glad that Disney is now kind of getting self-aware that, all right, we really need to change strategies on this. And, uh, you know, the, the other thing that stood out is them going like, all right, so now we have planned out. I went, see, that's what should have been done from the outset. A plan. You know, if, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And I know people have heard me rant and rave about the, the narrative roller coaster and whiplash that the sequel trilogy was. And it was, and it was just because it was evident there was no universal plan 
going into it. And so the, the fact that they've kind of uh, – they've been licking their wounds uh, after Solo and I know some, some lackluster reviews on the Book of Boba Fett and going, all right, we really do need to have more of an overarching plot in mind uh, in order to really do this universe justice. And uh, kind of kind of excited to see that pivot. I I also noticed in in one learning that they said that I kind of disagree with is they said you know we also learned uh, through our mistakes in Solo that we really shouldn't cast anyone to replace the original roles from the the OG you know the original trilogy. Um, and I, I'm gonna have to respectfully disagree with that. I don't think the mistake is that. We shouldn't be casting these people. I think it's that you cast the wrong people. Uh, I, I mean, I, I do not envy anyone that was going to try to stand in the shoes of playing young Han Solo, but you know, basically stepping in as Harrison Ford. I, I do not envy that person at all. But I do think it was a miscast. Uh, I, you've heard me before. That uh, in Age of Madeline, there is a actor who literally plays a younger version of Harrison Ford. And I think he would have been a head over heels better pick to play young Han Solo. Uh, and, and the reason I also think that argument of, yeah, we really shouldn't cast original trilogy actors is no one has that same argument with Lando. Everyone loves Donald Glover as young Lando. I mean, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, but I, aren't they giving him his own series? So, uh, I mean, part of it's like, oh, we have this learning. I'm like, no, what you, what you learned is that you need to be really, really selective in your casting. Uh, not that you shouldn't do it. You need to be way more selective. And I don't know, do some screen tests. Do some, do some focus groups before you make that kind of uh, – like tent pole kind of casting choice. Um, you know, the, the, oh, I, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but I mean, the actor who was in solo, uh, did, did a, a adequately fine job. And, and I will chalk up that had it originally had the tone of comedy that the original directors had wanted, you know, perhaps he would have done even better. And so, so maybe it was miscasting, uh, maybe it was the perfect casting for a comedic Han, and then once it became more of a drama, it just it, it didn't have the he didn't have the same acting chops to fall back on. Uh, but I I don't hear anyone making that same claim for Don Glover as Lando. I mean, I for for me, the moment I saw him come on screen, I'm like, that is a young Billy D. Williams. Like Lando has entered the building. Um, so. Uh, interesting that they said that that's a learning for them, but for me, it's, it's more of them trying to gracefully bow out of instead. What you should have learned is that you, you, you kind of, you done messed up on that casting call. Uh, something else that stood out to me was them saying that, uh, they, they want to stop the cadence of Star Wars movies. They want to give themselves some more breathing room. And therefore, they will increase the television cadence. So this year, you know, if you consider that we're going to get Obi-Wan, 
uh, Andor and possibly Mandalorian three uh, season three. I mean, that's three Star Wars titles in one year. And I know, I know that you know sounds you know next to nothing compared to what <laughs> the MCU is is popping out of their storytelling. Uh, uh, I won't insert noun there. Uh, but it, it at the same time, it's it's the most Star Wars content we've ever gotten as fans. So I'm I'm thinking like, man, am I ready for this much Star Wars content coming out at once? Um, but I also am happy, you know, every three years, you know that that was that was how long Star Wars films in the past were. I mean, if you look at the gap between New Hope and Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, the the gap between Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, you know, I'm like that that really is the amount of time and effort that you should dedicate to a movie. You know, it really is a different art form. And, and therefore, it needs that that TLC, that time and effort, especially pre-production, if you're going to get it right. So uh, part of me is like, okay, was this really a learning or something that you should have just known? Um, I mean, Ka Kathleen Kennedy is not a novice executive producer. I mean, she's been doing this since E.T. and has several blockbusters under her. So, uh, you know, saying that they're, they're doing this hiatus as a, a very purposeful way of giving themselves distance part of me is like all right you, you should have known this already um, but the other part of me is going like all right is this just another opportunity to to lick your wounds and just buy back everyone's trust with the television shows and then expect them to sit through you know 90 to 120 minutes of um, more star wars storytelling um you know something else uh, that they they mentioned in this article was the the fact, and, and you know this is not Obi Wan related, but is very much so part of the 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 televerse as it was in Star Wars was the fact that uh, Baby Yoda almost didn't make it into the Mandalorian, and I like I can't even imagine that show without Baby Yoda. I, I mean I, I I don't think ironically I don't think there's any Mandalorian. Without Baby Yoda, I mean that—that that was the heart of that show. I mean, yes, you have Din Djarin as the protagonist. You know, he is—he is the shield for the child, and, and I think that's what makes it works. Is you have that—that battle-hardened, world-weary warrior who is putting themselves on the line, having that change of heart for such pure innocence. Um, and, and the whole reason they said they weren't sure he was going to make it into it is they were just really cautious about revealing anything or diving into any more of Yoda's lore. You know, do, do they spoil Yoda by making Baby Yoda? I, I say not. You know, I, I, I think Baby Yoda was his own distinct enough. Well, you know, here I am saying he's his own distinct enough character, and yet his moniker is Baby Yoda. Uh, but, you know, I, I think in the context of the series— Definitely a distinct enough entity that it doesn't necessarily take away anything from Yoda. And, you know, it, it's always been my my uh, fan conspiracy theory that that will be George Lucas's last big hurrah is revealing, like, there is another Yoda. Or, you know, something like that, revealing what his species is called or something like that. You know, like, he's, he's the inventor of the Force. I don't know, something like that. Um, but uh, it, it was interesting to me that you know, hey, I, I'm at least glad they were having these discussions. Now, you know, it could be it could be 
total poodoo. It could be that uh, they were just trying to come up with a better reason than we just really wanted to sell toys. Uh, but I mean, I, I think baby Yoda and his relationship with Mando has been just such a home run that, you know, merchandising ploy or not, it has worked. Um, you know, something, something else that, uh, came out of, uh, the, this article was things that they were kind of hinting on in the upcoming Ahsoka series, which I just continue to be so excited for. I mean, the moment, the moment in Mandalorian Season 2 when she she started talking about, like, I'm looking for Thrawn, I just lost my mind. Not only because I cannot wait to see a live-action Thrawn, uh, but uh, Ahsoka is just such a good character and really flies in the face of anyone that says that Star Wars fanboys are just a bunch of uh, misogynists who hate women and, and that's why they, they hated The Last Jedi. I'm like, look, ask any Star Wars fanboy to name like top three, top five favorite characters, and I would be shocked if Ahsoka is not consistently in people's top five. For, for, for fans that are, that are uh, literate in the expanded universe, that is. I mean, I know she's not really touched on in, in the movies and even in uh, you know Mandalorian. She was kind of a new face for some. But just her character progression, you know, how she starts as kind of this naive, headstrong, uh, want to be a Jedi and can't imagine anything else, to just the, the crestfallen, betrayed, I'm leaving this order because I've become disillusioned, but yet I'm not giving up my allegiance to the light. You know, not going full on gray Jedi and and saying you know the the force is just a spectrum that you fall on. Um, I, I I think she's such a compelling character, and uh, I I know there were those out there that were saddened that um, uh, she was the live action version of her was not also played by the voice actress. Uh, but I think Rosario Dawson was an inspired choice and just continues from, again, just the little mannerisms uh, that even the 3D version of Ahsoka had. I uh, just continue to nail those and excited to see her playing that more matured, that more experienced years of living on her own version of Ahsoka. Uh, just continue to be so excited about that. And, and then, of course, throwing Thrawn in the mix, and then I'm just like, all right, here, shut up and take my Republic credits. Um, and uh, the the one part of it, though, that I am a bit iffy on is, does this also mean in tandem we will see a live-action Ezra Bridger? Now, I, I thought Ezra was fine enough. You know, uh, probably the most Disney-esque protagonist well well no that's not true the most disney one was the the guy in resistance the the show that will not be named uh but you know ezra to me just kind of felt like a disney channel star wars character uh i mean uh, uh, including the purple hair um and kind of that that punk mentality like i'm too cool for school um therefore i'm not gonna choose between a gun and a lightsaber i'm gonna have both <laughs> how millennial um uh, but but I'm not. I was never excited about his character. Uh, I I thought the best part of Rebels were all of the the side characters like Hera. Again, another strong female character that I I think is what one of the things that makes Star Wars so strong. 
Um, you know, Hera was always one of my favorites. And, uh, of course, all of the exploration that you do into the Mandalorian culture with Bo-Katan and uh, the Death Watch and all of that. Uh, great, great additions in the Filoni-verse, I will admit. Uh, you know, maybe you end up being at least uh, net zero once you account for the space wolves and space whales. Uh, but uh, I am I am excited to see this Ahsoka. Um, and then, you know, I don't want to leave Andor out. You know, I, I do feel like uh, Andor is kind of the, it truly is the middle child uh, in between, you know, Obi-Wan and Mandalorian and Ahsoka. It's kind of like, and Andor. And the fan base is kind of like, Okay, cool. Uh, you know, I guess it's kind of the the midday snack in between lunch and dinner. Sure, sure. Well, we'll do Andor in August. Uh, but I, I, I thought he was a fantastic character from Rogue One. I mean, and and can still, I would say, in the Disney era of movies, Rogue One is still my favorite of the Disney full length movies that have been released. And as far as Andor goes, I mean, I know by the time you get to the events of Rogue One, you know, he's definitely that the the ends justify the means. Uh, you know, I'm kind of disillusioned with this whole thing, but I'm fighting because I have to. Uh, so I am interested to see the uh, how, did, how did he get into that? You know, there's based off of what was in the, the Vanity Fair article, it, it's kind of a refugee situation. So perhaps he's he's living on a world that the empire comes and basically colonizes or forcefully uh, takes over a otherwise peaceful planet and they they try to flee. I'm assuming that like all things Disney, his parents are uh, very quickly uh, in this show. Um, so it, I hope that this becomes a lot more of the spy thriller, kind of the the heist. Uh, kind of what you know, Solo was attempting to be, and uh, what we definitely saw in that Prison Break episode in Mandalorian season one. Um, you know, I, I hope it has that similar tone, um, and uh, you know, hopefully he will have some justification for his random Russian accent in the middle of Star Wars. Um, of course, you know, I guess accents can still be universe justified because you know everyone's from different planets, and you know, even though basic is the the common language i guess you can still have accents to basic you know right uh just just give us some reason or at least at the very least don't pull a uh elizabeth olsen and just you know have a russian accent in one scene and then drop it in the next movie completely uh let, let's just have some consistency here people some consistency um as far as uh where they're going in the show i mean i saw the one screenshot of mon mothma and I was like, holy cow. That I mean, I, I remember the actress that portrayed her in Revenge of the Sith, I thought was like a, like, man, doppelganger, nailed it. Uh, but then just the, the way that this particular actress holds herself in, in the costume design, it's amazing with just a single still image how much it can evoke that character. That, like, let, let's face it, guys. Mon Mothma had such little screen time. In the original trilogy, I, I guess it she has way more echoes when you take into effect the certainly the original EU books, uh, but but even like video games 
And uh, I guess video games is, is really where I had most of my Mon Mothma. I mean, I you know, Rogue One, anyone hearing her voice, giving you mission briefs and summaries. Uh, so uh, I, I'm excited that she will get even more screen time uh, through the vehicle of Andor. Um, and then, uh, I, you know, there is so little we know about the Acolyte at this point that, like, I, I just don't know what to think. You know, something that I, you know, I, I am curious. I'm more curious than excited at this point. You know, I, I'm curious because it is the first uh, character that is going to be full-on evil. So kind of our our first foray into the anti-hero. You know, the, the argument could be made that, that Mando was that, but, but I, you know... It, if he was meant to be a the anti-hero, he he's a he's a pretty light side moral uh, holding a moral compass uh, anti-hero. Whereas I feel like with the acolyte, I mean, I, I'm I'm almost expecting full on the the Night Sisters uh, kind of vibe uh, from this show. Um, and you know, I yes, I will admit, I I have been captivated by some anti-hero storylines out there. I mean, Breaking Bad being the, the one that always comes top of mind. Though though even looking back, I always felt I always felt filthy coming out of watching them. Uh, I was always glued to the screen just from the cinematography in that show alone. Like, all right, what crazy camera angle are they going to pull off this week? Oh, of course, they stuck it to the back of a shovel that's over someone's shoulder. Brilliant. Or you know what under the table or in in line with a rear view mirror, but not in the angle. Like the cinematography in that show is fantastic. But but as far as have I enjoyed an antihero storyline? And you know the the answer for me is it's it's just not my cup of tea. Um, and you know one thing, you know if if you remember way way back to season one of Get Dadgum Nerds when we were talking about. You know, what makes Star Wars, Star Wars, one of the key ingredients that I think has to be present is that the light is light and the dark is dark. And you have that struggle of the light versus the dark. And as soon as you start introducing these elements of gray, which is, again, my biggest sticking point for why I think The Last Jedi fails as a movie and, and particularly as a Star Wars story, is that it you have to have that tension. And so, I, I, again, I am curious to see how that will translate into a story where we are following a dark side character. And I hope it kind of takes the same vibe as the Cruella movie did, uh, which I will, I will happily admit is my favorite of the Disney live action. I guess it's not technically a remake, but I'll say like inspired by remake because they didn't try to make you sympathetic to Cruella in that movie. They just had an antagonist for her that you hated even more so that you just really, you were just like, I just want this bad guy to beat up this other bad guy to a pulp. Uh, so, you know, in the acolyte, if it's kind of a, all right, maybe it's, two dark side users and they are pitted against each other by their their dark side douche of a master uh okay you know i can get on board with that but if instead they go for a storyline where it's all right 
this person's a dark side user, but they're really just misunderstood. It's really the hypocritical Jedi that are the real poison to the galaxy. Uh, again, you gotta, you gotta, I mean, it's, it's like laundry. You gotta keep your lights with your lights and your darks with your darks. Otherwise you're going to get some pink pajamas up in this place. Uh, so, you know, th there's so little we know about it yet that, I mean, certainly not going to pass any judgment. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm such a Star Wars fan that, I mean, they, they already have my money. I mean, I, I'm sticking around with Disney Plus, so I'll, I will certainly watch it. Uh, but, but it does affect whether or not I'll be able to watch it with Meredith or not. Or if it's something that I will be sharing with Rowan and Ellie in years to come, or if that'll be a kind of uh, expanded viewing uh, once they are adults and can make their own decisions, uh, but won't be part of the, uh, the Yoakum household. So, uh, uh, and really the, the, the last thing I wanted to touch upon that they mentioned in this article um, you know, apart from some of the other things like, all right, they're trying to make a basically a, a Goonies Star Wars movie, Taika Waititi's directing a Star Wars movie, you know, all, all these things that, you know, we've heard rumors of and just were kind of, you know, re-verified. We're like, okay, cool, you know, just, you know, don't, you know, ma make it good, take your time. Uh, one thing that did make me smile is when they talked about, so what about this trilogy that Ryan Johnson uh, is supposed to be making? And... I loved how much they evaded the answer of, no, he really crapped the bed, and so we're not giving him a trilogy. Instead, they said that it's been indefinitely postponed due to him being, and I quote, unbelievably busy with the Knives Out films. All right. All right, Disney. All right, Ryan Johnson. Sure. Yeah, Knives Out is really taking up that much of your mental bandwidth that you aren't willing to take on another Star Wars property. No, the, the fact is, is that you were laughed into oblivion by 50% of the audience and then had to have your mommy and daddy from Disney come in and defend you and tell everyone else how much of a good movie you had made. Uh, so I, don't give me this like, oh, yeah, he's not doing the trilogy right now because he's unbelievably busy. I'm like, yeah, that, that's like that's like the parent coming to prom and saying they didn't show up for their date because they had a tummy ache. Yeah, yeah, yeah unbelievably busy. Yeah, I, I'm believing that for a second. For a man who loves, uh, for a man who loves pulling the rug out from under people, who loves subversion. Uh, yeah, uh, very weak attempt at subverting my expectations there, Ryan. So. All right, it wouldn't be a Zack Star Wars episode uh, without me taking at least one pot shot at Ryan Johnson. Uh, but I, I've got it out of my system, so uh, we're good. We're good. Well, can you believe it? I have rattled on for almost 46 minutes now about Star Wars. Uh, for everyone who knows me, they know that uh, y'all are y'all are making out lucky tonight because I could go on for much, much longer. Uh, but I... Uh, have enjoyed doing this Obi-Wan man show for all of y'all. Uh, you know, it, it, it's you guys that, that keep us going. You know, the, our, our camaraderie of geeks, uh, our, our fellow Dagum nerds. So, hey, join in the fun on our Patreon channel. We'd love to have you join on Discord. I don't need to say any more. You've heard the spiel over and over. I will just end by saying, may the Force be with you, and we will catch you later, Dagum nerds. Game over.